Thank you so much. It's so good to be back with you guys. Um, I love, I, Irene, I, I totally vouch for what Justin said. If you haven't seen that story, please go watch it. Irene is just one of those people you're around that uh, when she prays, you just feel like God just goes, okay, wait a minute, Irene's praying, okay, you know, and, and you just feel that way. Uh, the other miraculous thing I saw, I think that that was the, the most consistent set of time in that video clip where Justin did not say anything. That, that was amazing. Um, <laughs> I, I absolutely love Justin, and, and I am honored to fill in and, and help out during that time. But for the next few, next four weeks, we're going to look at really what this book is about and the core center bullseye of this book. And it really, I was in uh, Orlando, Florida last week, got to hear a gentleman, got to get to know this gentleman, uh, Graham Daniels. He's from England and uh, he's the head, the general manager of a football club over in England and uh, he's also an incredibly godly guy. And he shared a concept that I just went, that is the most simplistic, wonderful example of what this book is. He said, I want you to think of a bow tie. I'm like, okay. He said, literally, you've got all of time and eternity, and you've got the recorded part of the Old Testament, and it narrows down to the knot. And the knot is Jesus. Everything in that side points to Jesus. And then everything in the New Testament from that point forward is, is into eternity future, and that's us included in that, and it gets bigger and more. But that knot is Jesus. And that Jesus point, in, in probably the center of that, is a prayer. And the first, we, we want to be like Jesus. Like Jesus is, the, is pretty much the next four weeks. But this first week is a prayer. And I want to learn to pray like Jesus. And there, is the, there are 18 words in Luke 22. 18 words. And it's Jesus actually praying and, and that prayer has, as, as I read another book, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you this before I tell you what book it was, I speak all over the country, have a lot of people, very well-meaning, go, oh man, have you ever read this book? And I get a lot of, have you read this book? And I've given a ton of books. And here's the deal, with, with books, I, I love to read, but I'm not a fast reader, and I get all these books. So here's my two questions. And, and has anybody ever told you, I want to see a quick show of hands, how many of you ever had somebody go, hey, you need to read this book and give you a title? Anybody else have that? Okay. So here's my, this may be worth the whole Sunday morning right here, because here's my filter of those people. When somebody says, hey man, you ought to read this book. I read this book. Here's the two questions I ask. The number one question is, have you finished it? Now, what percentage of people, and I kept track of the 100 people that told me that, what percentage of those 100 people do you think, the ones who said, hey, you got to read this book, do you think actually finished the book? Less than 20% actually finished the book. And so I'll just say, hey, go ahead and finish it. And when you get done with it, let me know if you think the same thing. The second question, they go, yeah, I read it. Then the second question I ask is, what is one truth, principle, piece you have gleaned from it and put into practice? And if they can answer those two questions at all accurately, I'm like, I want to read that book. So I'm talking to a friend, and I, I actually do not know this gentleman, Paul E. Miller, but he wrote a book called A Praying Life. 
the greatest struggle and discipline in my life is prayer. And uh, I, I've really gone across the gamut. I read the, started reading this book and I slowed down. And I'm already a slow reader. And I just read one section a day and I'm like, okay, I want to get that. I read the entire book. And when I got to the end, I'm like, I, I'm not done. And I went back through and read the entire book again over about a seven, eight month period. I read it twice because the clarity, simplicity, and power of how Jesus prayed and what makes prayer work came through. I'm going to show you the foundation of that today, but here's the deal. In, in prayer, and I don't know where you are on the, the spectrum of uh, great prayer or prayer person, but I, I literally, when I first got became a Christian, I was 13, and I, I ran the gambit of, of prayer. The, I think a lot of Christians, and I've been there, will get to the point where like, I know God is real, I know that He listens, but you know what, I just, I don't know how to pray. Because I pray and things don't happen the way I think they should. And you know what, God knows everything. He's only going to give me what's best when it's best. So I, I don't understand why I even should. And let me tell you, I've been guilty of that because here's what we are. We're guilty of becoming just kind of uh, Christian deist. There is a God. I know he's there. I know he loves me, but eh, I, don't, I don't get the interaction part. And God is like, that is not my desire. On the other end, there is the exuberance of praying. I remember being 13, a new Christian, going, God, I know you can do anything. And I believe that. I really believe that. And at 13, I prayed. I remember one of the first diligent, uh, bold prayers I ever prayed. I'm like, God, I know you're real. I know you can do it. So God, please, please heal my acne. If you would just heal my acne, and I believe you can do it, Lord, you can do it. And I jumped up out of bed the next morning, run to the mirror, and you're going to be amazed. It was still there, okay? And it was like, <laughs> what? And I literally thought, maybe I prayed that wrong. So I'm like, okay, Lord, I don't know what words this is, but please, please heal my acne. Or, um, it, what, and, and God, in his wonderfulness, led me to, after about three or four days, that I'm like, why am I not hearing this? Why is he not answering this prayer? And I came across a verse in James chapter 3, and it says, you do not have because you do not ask. So he wants us to ask, so there's that lose the deist idea that God's not involved. He's like, you don't have because you don't ask. And I'm like, well, Lord, I'm asking. Then I read the second part. It says, you do not have, and you ask, and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. You ask so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. I'm like, okay, Lord, so uh, how do I pray? And here's the deal. It's not so much how, but why am I praying and what am I praying for and how do I reconcile that? Because we're going to look at three pieces, three components to prayer. And we're going to look at it in this one prayer in Luke 22 in just a few minutes. But these three pieces... They're more than just components or pieces, they're engagements. And if you and I are not experiencing the power of prayer, we're, we're missing one of these three components. And, and the first one I'll introduce this way is just that um, I love my kids. I love interacting with my kids. I love being around my kids. I tell you one piece I do not enjoy of my children. I hate it when my kids just announce problems. Somebody took my fill in the blank. It's amazing how somebody stole it, and then when you go back to where they put it fast but forgot, it's there again. You know, that, that mindset, or the, most recently, my youngest son, he's like, somebody broke my Xbox. 
Somebody broke my Xbox. And I'm so tired of that just announcing piece that I've started to just go straight empathy, and I don't care. If you don't care enough to ask me, you don't care enough to connect with me, I'm just going to go with you. Somebody broke my Xbox. I'm like, oh, I hate that for you. Oh, that's so sad. Gosh, I hate, oh, that must make you feel horrible. You know, just... And he's like, well, yeah, well, somebody broke it. I'm like, when did they break it? Because I thought I saw you playing it last night. Well, I was. So between last night when you went to bed and this morning when you got up, somebody snuck in and broke your Xbox. Gosh, I hate that. That's, I don't know what we're going to do, you know? And I just, misery. And I got to tell you, it drives me crazy because all I really want is I want them to connect. Dad, did you, did you play my Xbox? Oh, no, buddy, what happened? Well, it's not working. Is there any way you can take a look at it? Can you help me figure out what's wrong? Can you help me and fix it? Can you help me? I want that connection. That's all I want. Because I've convinced my kids since they were very small. I'm like, and they'll say it and it drives my wife crazy. When they say, Daddy, I broke this. Can you look at it? I'm like, yeah, and I fix it. I'm like, because, and I'll say it this way, because Daddy can. And they're like, fix anything. And I was like, Yes. And I can, because their problems are such that I can do it. Even if it's broken beyond repair, I, I mean, they're little. I can replace it and go, here it is, perfect again. So I'm, I'm euphoric. I am dad, you know. But I cannot help but think that as I read through Scripture and I look at truth and I look at the purpose, the why of prayer, God is literally, and I'm so guilty of this, the only time I pray is when I announce my problems. Lord, here's what's wrong. Here's what's not perfect. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. And all I'm doing is announcing that. And I'm failing these critical components. The first one is just I'm failing to engage. And, and, And when Jesus was asked by the disciples, how do we pray? He literally, he tells them how to pray. And in the Old Testament, when you look at the prayers in the Old Testament, they have all three of these components. And we'll look at that for just a second. But the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 is a beautiful example, and I will, I'm going to show you the, the pieces to this as we go. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's the Lord's Prayer, and if you've been around church, even if you haven't, you've probably heard that prayer But it can become rote, it can become religious, and it can become everything but it was supposed to be. And that is a connection. But these components are in there. And I've shared it with you before that as I prayed that one time, I just prayed, God, what are the keys to this? And six words, six words in there just kind of establish the big picture of that. It's just that connection of our Father. Your will lead me. And if we look at those words, that is kind of the encapsulation of these components. But I would put it this way to even simplify it, because it's not just knowing what they are and just saying the words, but it's literally taking the pieces. The first, our Father, is really the relationship. And it's not a formal version. That word in the original language is Abba or Daddy. In other words, God is interested in us connecting with Him personally, intimately. To the point where we realize who he really is, that he really can fix it all. Not only that, but he has a plan for us. 
If Ephesians 2.10 is true and he says that we are God's workmanship, he made us. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to know him, to do good works that he prepared ahead of time. And we got to have this just position, not that we're just enduring life, trying to get as much comfort as possible, but instead fulfilling a purpose. If I really believe that, it changes the way I relate to God. It changes the way I engage God. Unfortunately, I think too many of us have either gone through a phrase or got stuck in a place where we know we need God's forgiveness. We know we want heaven and we invite him into our life, but then we don't fully engage in the relationship. That engagement in the relationship, that ongoing nurturing of of intimacy and growing. Probably one of the best real life examples I've heard, a friend of mine's a counselor, he said a couple came in, married 30 years and she was all straught and he goes, what do you think is the key problem? She said, he never tells me he loves me. He never tells me he loves me. And he looked at her and he said, 30 years? And he says, is, is that true? And he said, oh, I don't know. And she goes, well, it is true because you, you never say it. And he said, well, and here's his response. He said, the day we got married, I said, I love you. If I ever change my mind, I'll let her know. And I was just like, wow. That is a lack of engagement. And it's almost like, God, I know I've got heaven. Thanks for your forgiveness. Um, but you know what? I'm good from here, but that's not God's heart. He's like, I want this relationship. I want interaction. I want together in this relationship. And in this Luke 22, verse 42, 18 words, this is Jesus praying. The same components from the Lord's Prayer are in this, but magnified and simplified. The first one is simply this, Father, Father, if you will, If you're willing, in other words, he is just in this relationship. I'm going to start with relationship. Relationship means everything. And if I really believe God has a plan and I'm part of it, if I really believe that he cares about everything, I stop asking just a list of fix-its to going, okay, God, what are you doing and how can we relate and how can I do this together? In this book of Praying Life, he gives it a wonderful evaluation and, and you can do it with your head, so as you're sitting there, I want you to be nodding your heads a little bit. Do you find yourself more just on the dia side of, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about my issues right now. I want you to think about what you're going through in life right now, and your prayer life right now, and as it unfolds. Are you more like, yeah, that's where I am, or I really am trusting in Him, I really feel this relationship. Figure out which side you fall on, because if I'm not fully engaged in God being a part of my regular day, I tend to get bitter when life isn't working out. Where if I am connected and I'm part of his story, then I find myself waiting and more patient and and looking. I'm not angry, I'm watching. Do I find myself aimless going, I don't understand the point of all this? Or do I find myself wondering, I wonder what God's going to do? Do I find myself cynical going, you know what, this world's just going to hell in a handbasket and there's nothing about it and and there's nothing God's doing? Or do I find myself praying going, God, I I, want to be engaged in what you're doing to change this world. Do I find myself wanting to control every detail or do I find myself submitting to whatever God has? Do I find myself hopeless 
or hopeful? Do I find myself thankless or do I find myself walking around regardless of circumstances with gratitude in my heart of what God's brought me through? Do I find myself blaming other circumstances, situation, or do I find myself asking, God, is there anything I need to change and turn from? Do I find myself anxious, like Irene was talking about on the video, or do I find myself calm and at peace? That is a great indicator of where my relationship and how well I am engaged with God in my daily life is. And there's the, the next kind of engaging point or, or piece or component of it is found in the next part of that verse. And, and Jesus is literally at one of the most anxious parts of his life. Literally. He has gone, th- he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is, he's literally been about to be betrayed. He's about to be uh, in the courts. He's about to be judged as guilty of nobody knows what and crucified. And he knows it's coming. And he knows he's about to take the sins of the world and he knows about to be separated from God. And he takes this second one and, and there's this, this bold ask. He has never been more human than this moment. And God not only wants us to have a relationship, but he wants us to ask boldly for, for his will. And he says this in Luke 22, verse 42, If you are willing, take this cup from me. I don't want to do this. This is not my choice. He is boldly asking. He is being honest at a level of just the core of his soul. And the question I have to ask for you and I today is, are we asking God boldly for what he has? His will. Your will, Lord, am I, am I asking for that? Because I need to get to that point where I'm like, okay, Lord, you want me to ask, so what do you want me to ask for? He says, well, boldly. Who asks boldly better than any other set or age? Children. Children ask boldly. I want a pony. My little brother, when he was seven years old, there were there was riding lessons and this this they were selling a horse and he's like, I want a horse. He's seven. And my mom was like, Well, you can ride the horse, you can go riding. He goes, No, I want to buy the horse. Well, what, what would we do with the horse? I'll, I'll take care of him. We have a we have a small backyard. And she was like, Where are you gonna put him? In the backyard. He can eat the grass. And it's like, but you, you don't understand everything, but that didn't stop him from asking boldly. I want a horse. And he really didn't understand why, but there's this this bold, this desire that God has, and I'll prove this to you. It says in Matthew 19, 14, Jesus is saying this, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. He says, if you don't come like that, you're not coming. You want to have a relationship, come. Now this, I've been speaking for over 30 years. And the last hour is one of the highlights of my life as a communicator. I'm literally right before this verse, on this stage an hour ago, and I'm standing here, and I'm I'm sharing about that relationship. And I'm about to talk about, ask boldly, and the, the children, and I had not read that verse yet. And I noticed out of the corner of my eye, there's a little girl, probably about a year and a half old, and she kind of breaks free out into the, the, the aisle. And she starts to wait, and they're trying to call her back, but she walks right up. 
And she walks up to the step there to the point where I'm like, hey. And she's like, looks up at me. I said, did you want to come on stage? And she's like, and she starts crawling up the stage. And I went down and I pick her up. And just, I've never met this child before. And she just walks up. And I'm just told, I'm like, okay, we'll do this together then. And I'm, I'm holding this. And I get back to my notes. And I'm, this is God. And I get to my notes and I look down. And I get chills right now thinking about it. And I go back to read, and it's, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. It's like God showed up. And, I mean, I'm, I'm slow, but I didn't even miss that one. It was like, it's like Jesus is going, this, this is how you come. When you come, forget about who's there. Forget about the thousand people. You just come to me, because I want you to come to me. And you come like that. I'm like, Lord, thank you. Thank you for that incredible example. And, and as I look at the, the Scripture, the New Testament, the Old Testament, I, I've been reading this little book over. I've read it before, but I want to give you an example in Scripture how it means to ask boldly. And I want to do it out of an example in the Old Testament. And if you're not really familiar with the Bible, there's some parts of the Old Testament that are chronological orders of people in the nation of Israel, and it can get really dry. It's a begat, and he begat, and she begat, and they begat, and they lived here, and then they lived there. But let me tell you, every now and then, as you're reading the Bible, it's going to feel a little bit like a drone, but don't, don't miss this. As you get into it, something will happen where you, you see a name or a word or something just changes. Don't miss those points. I'm going to read you... One verse before, and there are chapters worth of this going on. Names that I can't pronounce, places that I've never seen or heard of. And I'm going to read you one of those verses, and then I'm going to read you the shift. And it's the shift that really illustrates this ask boldly. It says, the sons of Helah, Zareth, Zorah, Ethan, and Kaz was the father of Anub and Hezra Bilaba. That's a name. And the clans of Aharol, son of Haram. Now, if I did that for 20 minutes, we would all be asleep. Okay? It's just one of those. But look at this next bit. Now, that's been going on for chapters. And then out of nowhere, these two verses happen. And Jabez was more honorable, not, not a chronology, it's actually a sentence, than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Jabez cried out to God, the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory and let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And the Lord granted his request. And then it goes back. Kalub, Shinam, the brother of, and the father of Merat. And, and like, wait a minute. Jabez prayed. And what did he pray? He prayed boldly. He asked boldly. And there's a, an incredible, his name literally, if, if it was an English name, he would be named Pain. His mother said, I gave you birth in pain, so I'm going to name you Pain. That's his name. 
And that's what Jabez meant. And I can only imagine the anguish of a young man going, God, I, I don't want to cause pain. I, I, Lord, will you please be with me so that I don't cause pain? That's part of his prayer. But he asked boldly, he says, God, not only do I not want to cause pain, but oh, that you would bless me indeed. That word bless, I believe, has been corrupted by some of the faith. That blessing is supposed to be, God, give me what I want. And that is not what this word means. When we ask boldly and we learn to pray and ask boldly, what he's asking is like, God, I don't want to be a pain. God, I want whatever you created me for. I want you to bless me in that way. Bless me to fulfill whatever you made me to be. Whatever these circumstances are going on, use them so that I can become whatever you have blessed me to be. Lord, I don't want what I want. I want what that is more than I can ask or imagine that only you can give. I want to live there. I want to live in this life, not what I can see and experience to do. I want to experience beyond what I can think or dream. And when he says, enlarge my territory, he's saying, God, whatever it is you've given me to do, Lord, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to ask boldly, I want you to give me that ministry, but I want you to, no matter what it is, it may be to my neighborhood, it may be at work, it may be, I don't know where it is, Lord, but whatever you give me to do, I want you to give it in such a size that I cannot do it apart from you interacting. Unless you're doing it with me, I, I'm, I don't know what we're going to do because I'm going to fail miserably. That's where I want to live. Expand my territory. Bless me with what you have. And, and, and he says, and will your hand be with me? In other words, God, I, I, I want that relationship, that intimacy, and I'm going to ask boldly in that situation. That pattern is throughout Scripture. And God tells us in Luke in a couple places, in 18, it talks about a persistent widow who came to the judge and kept asking and pestering until the judge relents and gives. And he's, God is saying, I want you to keep coming to me that way. I'm not an unrighteous judge. I'm a righteous God, but that's how I want you to come. Come, connect with me completely. He says in Luke 11 where he says somebody came at midnight. And he says, I want you to, I want you to come to me constantly and do that. But it's about being that honest relationship and asking boldly. And it's about being honest. It's about being honest. Jesus in, in Luke 22 is being honest. He says, Lord, if, if you can take this cup from me, don't get religious, get real. God, here's where it is. The best real life example I can explain is when my wife and I were expecting our first child. We went to birthing classes. The last day of graduation, you have to watch a birthing video. After that video, my wife was very quiet. She said, do you have any questions? And, and my wife's like, mm, mm. We were in the car, and I'm like, you okay? And she just, she just snapped. She said, if you think I am doing that, you are out of your mind. And I'm like, good to know. Now, God gave me the wisdom to shut my mouth and not go, well, baby, it's a little too late to think about that, but... I loved her honesty. She was like, I, 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 I can't do that. I can't do that. That is not no. And that's the level of honesty God wants us to be. That's where he wants us to ask boldly. But here's the key, and this, this last component is critical. This last component. So we have the relationship with God, paramount. If you're not a Christian, 
Prayer makes no sense because it is a living God that makes it work. And he's saying, ask boldly, but here's the, here's the key component. And this is what, what makes power relationship. Ask boldly, surrender completely. Look what Jesus did in this prayer. Take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. I'm completely surrendering. There's nothing that builds intimacy more than that complete submission. He talks about marriage in the New Testament. He said, submit to one another. We have to move from me to we. And I have to move from throwing up prayers to letting realize God is right here with me. In the prayer of Jabez, he says, God, that your hand would be with me. Jesus is saying, Father, if you're willing to take this cup, but not my will, but yours be done. I, I, God wants us to find our identity, not in what we get from God, not what he does for us, but what he does with us to move to us. Not him and me, but us. There's a beautiful example. I'll just close with this in Daniel chapter 3. If you've ever been to Sunday school, you've heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you listen to child stories, for those of you who haven't, I'll give you the quick recap. It was a very secular society. Hmm, not unlike ours. And these three young men were in exile, and they were captured, and they were brought up, and they were the wisest of the wise of their of their people, the Jews, and this government would take the wise and they would give them this food and they would train them and they rose to a level because God's hand was on them. They said, we're not going to compromise, we're not going to drink certain pieces and eat certain pieces, but watch how God blesses us, and he did. And the king saw it and he raised them to a level above most everybody else. And I don't know if you've been in a situation where it works, people get jealous, I don't know if you've ever had that experience. But these people saw how God's hand was on them and they did not like it. So they went to the king and they started buttering him up and brown nosing. We go, King, you are awesome. You're incredible. Look how God, look at all the blessings you have. Look at this. You're unbelievable. You know what would be great is if you'd build like some idols and maybe a big statue of yourself because we should all worship you because you're awesome. And he was like, Yes, I am awesome. I will build a statue. Yes. And it was whole ploy because they build the statues and they have the idols and they blow the horn and everybody bows down. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're just like, okay, well, that's just not something we can do. We can serve in your courts. We can, we can help you and give you wisdom and interpret dreams. We can do all kinds of, but we're not doing that. And all these people trying to set them up went, oh, king, great king, majesty, you live forever um, I don't know if you noticed, but your boys over there, they ain't bowing. and uh, they, they, I don't know what's going on with them. And he goes, well, bring them here. And he was like, okay, they're telling me you're not bowing. Um, I know that's a mistake, but here's the deal. Um, you you got to bow down to me because I'm awesome. They're like, your majesty, you are awesome. Uh, no, we can't do that. There's one God and you're not it. And he's like, uh, Okay, let me make this real obvious for you. I got a furnace, and I'm going to heat it up really hot. And that's where we throw criminals that deserve to die, and we chunk them in there. And that way we can kill them and burn them up at the same time. We don't even have to bury them. So uh, that, um, and, and you're going there. 
I'm going to play, go ahead and bow, and we'll take care of this. And they're like, no, sorry. Listen to the relationship, the bold ask in their, their statement, and the complete surrender in Daniel 3, 17 and 18. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Bold surrender. And see, here's the, one of the coolest parts of that. He heats it up, if you don't know the story, multiple times other than normal. The guard that opened the door was killed from the heat wave that came out of the door. And the others literally chunked them in there. And as they closed the door, the king looks in somehow and he goes, whoa, okay, wait a minute. Okay, they're, they're not burning up. They're walking around. Hey, okay, wait, okay, I'm, I'm counting. We put three in there. Why are there four? And see, because here's the deal. God is with us no matter what. Yes. So here's my encouragement to you and I this week. Engage God. Engage Him in that relationship. Take it to a different level. Get honest with Him with whatever life is going right now. Boldly ask Him. Interact with Him on where you are what your heart is and God help me desire the right and to get rid of the wrong and and God I'm going to boldly ask you this because I want to interact with you and I completely surrender because the point is not getting the point is being with him and doing what he has best for us and experience a blessing beyond what we can think or dream let me pray for us God thank you for your truth thank you for teaching me and, and helping me to learn this, this engaging you. I pray that we would do exactly that this week. And Father, I pray that we would ask boldly and we would surrender completely. And I pray that we can come back next week and say, God moved. And now I'm seeing what it means to interact with God in a whole new way. And it is only through Christ, who is with us, who know you, that we can pray. Amen. Next week, I'm going to share another like Jesus. It's think like Jesus. But next week, I'm going to open with this. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. If this week, you went through that process of asking boldly and surrendering completely. I don't expect resolution. I don't expect there to be, oh my goodness, everything worked out. I just want to ask, are you in the process? Are you connecting and engaging with God in that way? So I'm going to ask next week, how many of you engaged with God this week, asking boldly and surrendering completely in any area? And I want to see how many people raise their hands. I can't wait till next week. I'll see you then. Go ahead and stand up. Let's wrap up.